let's talk a little bit about the carbon tax. We've been talking a lot about the carbon tax the last uh, few weeks on this show uh, because it's uh, it, you have to remind yourself where we came from. I know on the on the federal side, we've been debating whether or not um, Pierre Polyev, if elected premier or prime minister, would scrap it. He uh, is very much on the side of does it help people in, in, in the context of affordability. We've had conversations here uh, in British Columbia as well. And just this week, we heard of the uh, provincial government trying to figure out how to deal with the issue of affordability and carbon tax as well. Well, joining us now to talk a little bit about where the carbon tax and how it started uh, is Mary Polak. She's a strategic advisor for Maple Leaf Strategies and a former Minister of Environment for British Columbia. Mary, thank you for coming by. Thank you for having me, Jess. So I know it was July 1st, I believe, 2008, when the carbon tax was introduced. It was a fully revenue neutral carbon tax, uh, and it was a simple premise, put a price on carbon. It's the market response to carbon. Um, you were in that cabinet uh, when it was introduced. You were Minister of Environment afterwards uh, in 2013. Walk me through what the thinking was and at that period in 2008. Well, we have to remember that in 2008, our carbon tax was part of a much broader ecology of carbon pricing that was developing in North America, in other places in the world too. But in 2008, you had the Western Climate Initiative, which was first formed uh, by California, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, New Mexico. There were other states that joined later. Uh, in 0809, British Columbia, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec joined. That whole group, its purpose was to establish a way of trading carbon credits, emissions trading. The carbon tax was put in place to be a part of that. This would have addressed not only putting a price on carbon for individuals, but what was envisioned is you would have a full capacity for trading carbon credits, which would allow you then mm -hmm. to apply the price on carbon to corporations, to businesses, to high emissions uh, industries. So you would have had a whole uh, suite of different things that went along with the carbon tax. It wasn't envisioned as something that stood alone. Mm -hmm. But at its core, the premise was revenue neutrality. Revenue neutrality. You took an income tax because when it first began, it was strictly to cut your income tax penny for penny on what was raised in carbon tax. So take your income tax, replace it with a consumption tax. Mm -hmm. That was the premise for the carbon tax. And it was fully revenue neutral. And if anybody doubts that, there was actually a report put out by the finance minister every year, which listed to the penny where the money went. But even that eroded gradually over time in terms of which taxes were being paid for. And that in turn caused questions around the revenue neutrality. But Fair to say, throughout its life under the previous government, um, none of that money went into general revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking at an article from 2016 from the New York Times, and I won't read the whole article, but here's a quote, uh, and this is a reference to British Columbia. Their experience shows that cutting carbon emissions enough to make a difference in preventing global warming remains a difficult challenge. But the most important takeaway for American skeptics is that the policy basically worked as advertised. British Columbia's economy did not collapse. In fact, the provincial economy grew faster than its neighbors, even as its greenhouse gas emissions 
declined. Carbon tax is the most efficient, market-friendly instrument available in the quiver against climate change, right? And that's a 2016 article from the New York Times referring to British Columbia. Now, fast forward to today, loud calls to at the very least pause the tax and others saying axe the tax. What happened from what you describe to today in your mind? What went wrong? Well, remember, uh, virtually all of the emissions trading models did not come to fruition. There are still jurisdictions playing around with that. Didn't happen. So that wasn't there to support it. Um, Of course, the carbon tax uh, is not any longer revenue neutral. As soon as you do that, it's not a carbon tax anymore. It's just another gas tax. There's Mm -hmm. nothing special about it. Uh, there's your your payment on that is the same as paying for anything else, and you know I'm sure you paying your gas tax doesn't stop you from driving your car, and mm-hmm. neither does the carbon tax. So all the pieces that supported the carbon tax as a vehicle to help uh, change behavior, all the elements of that either within it or those supporting elements that never developed, they're they're gone. They're not there. The Western Climate Initiative really didn't keep going. Last time they updated their website was 2013. Really? Pacific, Pacific Carbon Trust is gone. Um, it, those things just haven't unfolded the way we thought, right? It was 2008, though, and the the proof that the New York Times, the article you were referring to, what people looked at and what was quite astonishing is the position we were in in 08 was quite unique. Uh, This was all planned long before Lehman Brothers happened, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So there we go, and we're implementing um, a carbon tax, revenue neutral, but nevertheless a tax in a year when um, everything is just going to hell in a handbasket financially. Here's what happened, though. Because we required ourselves to cut taxes to the same amount that we were raising in carbon tax, it actually assisted us in rebounding as other jurisdictions did not because we were forced to cut taxes at a time when nobody else could afford to do so. So there was a there was a coincidence there. It wasn't something we could have engineered, but certainly uh, important to remember that the carbon tax won an award from the United Nations in terms of uh, climate at the Morocco COP. So there you go. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to Mary Polak, strategic advisor for Maple Leaf Strategies and a former minister of environment for BC. We're talking about how carbon tax started here uh, in British Columbia in 2008. Um, Mary, so you, you, we talked about where we're at now uh, in regards to losing revenue neutrality. And I think the provincial government next year is expected to raise about $3.2, $3.3 billion when it comes to carbon tax. And you've just called it just a tax now. Um So what do we do with it in your mind? Do you think we just kill the carbon tax? Well, unless you can build around it the framework that you need to support it, the things that were originally envisioned, a functioning cap-and-trade system to be able to deal with the challenges that industry has with a straight-up carbon tax uh, that we pay as citizens. Um, You have to deal with as well uh, the issues around your neighbors, Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, originally I listed off the different U.S. states, California in particular. I mean, let's not forget California, Canada, our populations are roughly equivalent. So you're Mm -hmm. talking about a very significant player. Um, British Columbia is tiny by comparison. So for us to 
think practically, um, even Canada on the world stage, thinking practically to try and go it alone, even if you could get it back to revenue neutrality. If you don't have all these other building blocks around it, I don't see how it gets you to uh, emissions reductions. I don't see how it gets you to behavior change. Mm-hmm. And and I think Keith Baldry and I have been talking about this for a while. Do you think that so you think there's just no behavior change? I still I still maintain that uh, the fossil fuel companies are so um, efficient uh, that it's still you know I know gas prices go up uh, for a variety of reasons, but generally, you know the fact that you can get a liter of gas under two dollars that's uh, you can't pop. For 250 liters cost to, to cost you a toonie. So f- fuel is still cheaper at the end of the we, day. We don't, but in, in, in North America broadly, and you know, certainly here in BC, I think uh, for the most part, we don't, we don't do a good job of looking around at the world and seeing where we sit within it. I don't think we do a very good job of that. Mm-hmm. Realistically, what you say is true. Um, but does a carbon tax impact it when it goes up again at the pumps? Um, does that make you, you know, think about driving less, driving a, an electric vehicle? I mean, I, I don't see that it's the carbon tax in particular that does that. And in particular for industry, there are huge challenges which with trying to apply the carbon tax as opposed to another type of cap and trade uh, system that could work alongside it. That works better for an industrial model and it encourages changes in behavior on the part of industry, such as innovation and investment into cleaning up their operations. But none of that has come to fruition the way that we thought it would back in 08 when Arnold Schwarzenegger was walking around California and we didn't have TikTok, we didn't have Twitter. It's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And things, the world looked different. Yeah, We thought it was going to be different. It isn't. So now we have to think differently. Well, I just had uh, folks over at Business Council of BC on the show earlier this week, and by 2030, they were saying the the province, our total economy, will be $28 billion smaller than what it could have been in regards to potential because of the carbon tax, because of some of these other policies that we're talking about. It impacts every sector. I think the only sector that isn't impacted that shows growth is electricity. So our economy is going to be smaller in 2030. It'll continue to grow, but it could have been a lot bigger by $28 billion because of the programs that we have. And you're right in the sense that if, you know, complete GHGs around the world, Canada represents 1.5%, British Columbia represents 0.19%. It ain't a lot. There's not much we're going to have an impact compared to the Indias and the Chinas and the U.S.s and the Russias and the Indonesias and Pakistans and those countries have massive populations. Um, So, I mean, I guess the question is what you're saying here, if if, if if we keep moving it forward. You've been the Minister of Environment. You've been in behind closed doors talking to industry, talking to environmental groups, talking to other elected officials and decisions have to be made. In the perfect world in your mind, because of affordability challenges and at at its core, the lack of effectiveness when it comes to the carbon tax, the way it's been presented, and other folks not having any sort of plan. We should kill the present carbon tax in your mind and do a fundamental rethink in regards to how we move forward, still trying to make an effort in regards to climate change, but get rid of the carbon tax. We started down this path in 2008, holding hands with a whole bunch of other jurisdictions. Um, That would have been a very different world had that continued. It It didn't. We are on our own. And in particular, British Columbia, uh, having been doing this for so long and 
uh, now uh, having Canada doing this nationally, here we are in the world and we're we're very alone. And in taxes, uh, businesses know this, you know, when, you, when you're being taxed uh, beyond your neighbours, uh, that has economic impact. Now, can they cancel it? Uh, how much are they bringing in this year? I mean, the challenge. $3 when, billion. Dollar well, hole. there you go. So when you're when you're talking now about a tax that is no longer revenue neutral, then you're talking about how does government fill the gaping hole that that would leave? I don't know how to answer that question because I think moving it to uh, being non-revenue neutral was a mistake. Uh, but here we are. Right. Um, now, we can talk about revenue neutrality, I get, but do you think Trudeau is to blame as well? And what I mean by that is uh, Prime Minister and his government moving too fast. It's going up every single year till 2030. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of it too. If, if they had just paused it or just said, okay, we're not moving it up so aggressively every single year. Uh, but people are noticing it now, they're feeling it now, and maybe he's given his critics well, some to work but, with as well. But remember, remember, the point, the point of the carbon tax is that you were supposed to feel it, right? Yeah. Supposed to change behavior. The point of revenue neutrality was to give you something to go to, right? Yeah. So if you manage to change your behavior, therefore saving yourself some money on your carbon tax, um, you got a double benefit back on your income tax because nobody clawed that back from you. You still got the cuts to your income tax. So the whole foundation of why it changes behavior and what the 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 sticks and the carrots are, are completely different now. And for us to be engaged in this kind of carbon pricing activity, um, when the others have fallen away, um, you know, California is not talking about doing this. It, it, it's it's like if we decided in British Columbia to make our own uh, regulations around constructing vehicles. Well, you know, GM isn't going to change the way they build a, a you know a, a Ford truck uh, just because British Columbia wants them to. If California does. That's a little different. And yeah. I think it's time as we look ahead and think about how we build policies that truly reduce emissions, uh, let's be honest about our place in the world and honest about the factor we are in the whole scheme of things, which is not a huge one. Yeah. Mary, thank you. You're welcome.